Welcome to the podcast channel of the East Bay Unity Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. The opinions expressed here are those of individual members and do not represent OA as a whole. For more information about our intergroup, please visit our website at eastbayoa.org. Hi, um, I'm Jazz, compulsive eater and exercise bulimic. Um, I am really grateful to be in this meeting this evening. I'm feeling really humbled um, because also as your speaker getter, um, it's been hard. This is my first meeting doing speaker getter and I'm learning that my network isn't as large as I thought it was. <laughs> um, and, and so today was a funny day because I actually have friends in town this week and my food's been hard this week. It's been green, a little yellow, but hard. And, and getting a speaker for this week was also very hard. And I don't know why, um, but sometimes I have to remember that my higher power gives me the things I need. And so when it was kind of getting down to the wire, I was like, all right, I guess it's my turn to talk. Um, I don't think I've spoken at a meeting in several years either. So it's kind of exciting. Um, so I just thought I would just do what it was like, what happened and, and what it's like now. Um, I know I'm one of the younger faces that pops around this room and, and some people, I think, wonder how I got here and, and what the whole thing is. Um, I, like everyone else, um, have been a compulsive overeater since I was born. Um, no one had to teach me to be that way. It was just innately obvious. Um, there was zero restrictions on food in my house at all. We were vegetarians um, and that was the only food restriction. But even then we weren't restricted from eating non-vegetarian diets outside of our house. It's just what my, my mother gave us. Uh, we also had very little supervision in general. And so the cupboards were just always open. And my favorite snack was saltine crackers right out of the package. And somehow I knew the amount I ate was wrong because even as a, a five-year-old, I would be eating crackers on the couch, watching television. And the second someone came, shove them in the couch and act like I had been eating nothing. Um, and I would hide them there. And like days and days and days later, when no one was home, like go retrieve them and like secretly throw them away. Um, my weight got pretty bad, pretty fast. And I've always been a, a very large person. Um, for, for my peer group. Um, I think I, I, I inhabit a, a relatively normal sized body, but I was always very large for my peer group. And I was always very, very self-conscious about it. And so very quickly I fell into dieting. I remember very vividly being eight years old and doing Denise Austin's rock hard tummies in the living room on the VHS. Like, over and over and over again, because it was the exercise my sister did and my sister was beautiful. And I thought to be beautiful, you must be thin. Um, and I tried for a really long time as a child, you can, you can experience life like without people Appearances, it's their character, their quality intertwined. Um, and it was really painful for me to see myself as a good person because I was big. 
Um, and I knew I was big because I ate too much and I couldn't figure out how to eat less. Um, when I got a little older, it, I, I noticed a pattern that the only time I would inhabit like a standard body size was when I was very alone and I succeeded in being small by having no friends and being to play. But the second I enjoyed company, I became very large. Um, finally, I got to an age when I realized I could control it a little bit if I exercised. And I loved math and spreadsheets and I would put in all of my daily intake and all of that output I had to do. And that resulted in this exercise wheel that at the end and in like the very vicious height of it was I would get at four o'clock in the morning so I could ride my bike to my job um, at the university where there was a pool and I could swim and I it was a five mile bike ride bike swim in the pool go to work on every single break walk a mile um, every 20 minute break everything I could do and then at the end of the day I would get out of work go to a spin class and then do yoga and then do an exercise routine I had memorized for it was a like a video routine that I memorized five minutes um thank you um get on the treadmill um and then close the gym down and at midnight ride five miles home and and at this time I was working full-time and attempting to go to school full-time um my big realization happened um, when I was trying to train to do open ocean swimming. Um, I wound up getting what's called the swimmer's edema, um, which is where your air sacs and your lungs burst and you start bleeding into your lungs. Um, I was in the ocean when it happened and I was able to get back to the beach and I was coughing up blood. And I, in my brain, because it was just so important and such a failure, if I couldn't like maintain this exercise routine um, that I decided to ignore it and ride my bike to exchange a swimsuit down the streets at the sports basement because it was the wrong size. Um, I went home and my now husband um, saw I was coughing up blood and he insisted I go to the hospital and I said, no, no, it's fine. It's, it's nothing. It's my gums or something maybe. Um, and he was very upset at me. And the next morning I was still coughing up blood and he insisted I go. And he, and we went and we got it all figured out and he had a heart monitor for a week and I figured out what was wrong with me. And he looked at me throughout all this and he said, I don't want to be with you anymore because you're going to die. And I don't want to love someone that I can't count on to be there. Um, so I decided I needed to do something about it. And at, around that time, a really good friend of mine was having some success in a different 12-step program. And in my head, I knew if I just could stop. And so I thought maybe if I quit drinking, that will solve my weight problem. And I went to him. I said, can I go to AA with you? And he said, absolutely not. <laughs> but I would love you to go to OA. 
Um, and I went to the Sunday night meeting and I cried the entire time I was there. And I cried for the next three months um, because everyone said everything I had always done with food. And I saw people who were living lives I wanted to live that were gentler and not perfect. Um, and I, I really tried and I really committed and it really worked for me. Um, I got on a really great pink cloud and I got to this like beautiful body size that I was so excited about. And it was funny because during that time I kept saying, oh, I can finally accept my body. Everything's so wonderful. Everything's so perfect. It, you know, it was that like perfect intoxicating like pink cloud. I was like, this is what it's like. I've had a spiritual awakening. Um, and then I switched jobs to a job in San Francisco and I couldn't come to meetings. I didn't get to go to a meeting for about a year and a half. I think it was, I was doing podcasts and I was trying to go to, to phone meetings and they just weren't really working for me. And so I, I fell off. I, 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 it hurts to call it a relapse because I think I was still trying to eat well and I'm still reading my literature and still trying to adhere to it, but I wasn't in the program. I wasn't, I wasn't here and I wasn't doing the things I needed to do to take care of myself. Um, but the one thing that stayed constant was I knew how good it felt to be here and be in these rooms. So I went on a constant search um, to find that stillness and peace and like anything I could. I tried to do yoga and meditation and tarot readers and, and you know, anything to connect me to that like spiritual oneness I was feeling here and I couldn't find it. Um, and then I was finally able to switch jobs back onto the East Bay. Thank you. And, and start meetings again and it opened right back up. And there's a piece I get being in these rooms because the gifts of the program for me are they're small quiet gift because I know I am not a perfect person. I know I don't do everything right. I know I make mistakes and that I am complex, but in making mistakes and being complex, I am whole because when I seek to be a perfectionist, and when I seek to be a people pleaser and when I hide behind lies, I become one dimensional. I become disinteresting. Um, and I have to keep up complex facades that, that take up all my energy and make me so frustrated and, and angry and snap at people and just not a pleasure to be around. Um, but when I can say, when I can admit to myself and God and other human being, the exact natures of my wrongs, um, I my heart opens and I am at a lot of peace. And so even though my life doesn't look perfect and even though things are hard, um, and even like this week when I've eaten foods that are all normal foods for me, they're just not the food I eat every day and I am incredibly triggered by it, I can still know that it's it's just this one day and this one day at a time and I can have peace around it and tomorrow will look different. And, and it's also a release 
of I am not micromanaging my world. I am not in control of every little thing, which is something I used to love to do clearly because I, you know, perfectly matched up my calorie intake and outtake. I thought, I thought I could cheat biology. I really thought I was so powerful that I was in charge of how math and metabolism and biology worked. That's insane. That is such like a power trip. And for me to be able to have a relationship with a higher power relieves me of that. And it gives me these freedoms to just be an imperfect person. Um, and so I wanted to share the first today because um, it really, it, <laughs> I was sharing it with someone else today because I was like, oh, do I, I want inspiration for having a talk tonight. And, and I read this and she said, oh, I don't know what that feels like at all. And I was like, oh, that sounds sad because I, I do know what this feels like. And it says, courtesy of the heart may seem detached. It does not interfere with another's decision or give advice or need approval. It neither plays games nor passes judgment. It does not accept guilt nor make others feel guilty. Courtesy of the heart does not, uh, nope, I want to skip that part. Courtesy of the heart welcomes new ideas and people and feels joy instead of fear and sees with fresh eyes and appreciates rather than criticizes. Um, and it goes along with like a big theme of my life right now at work. I've been in this training um, to work with families and it's don't, don't make assumptions about other people and other people's lives. Just see what's happening and observe the situation and say, oh, this is a situation you know, that person has frowning. They could be frowning because they're angry or because they stubbed their toe or because they're deep in thought. And none of those things are my business. At the end of the day, all I can do is, you know, stay on my side of the street, take care of myself, have honesty and integrity and put that out in the world and hope that everyone else around me. And I just, I just live that way one day at a time. Um, I think that's all I really have to say. And I'm pretty sure I'm getting close. I'm so grateful. I hope my Wi-Fi was okay. I saw you guys kind of like do a speed up and slow down for a second. It's not great in this apartment. Um, but I am grateful to be part of this fellowship every day. And um, thank you for being here and giving me the opportunity to speak tonight.